Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of buds for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla producing single rows like flowers continually from June to the first frost. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Later on, I'll be speaking to someone who's attained the RHS Master of Horticulture. From New World Plants in Herefordshire, it's Rod Richards. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. Well, I'm feeling pretty virtuous this week because uh, over the last weekend, I pretty well finished the digging uh, the vegetable plot. I had to wait until the afternoon so that the top had thawed out. And now that we're going into uh, snow and really hard frost, well, then it'll do the world a good to that really stirred up and completely dug garden. You know, they say that snow is the poor man's fertiliser because as it falls it attracts nitrates from the air. And so uh, you'll be putting nitrogen into the soil. Much more important from my point of view is that when it freezes and then thaws and freezes and thaws, it really breaks up the surface to make cultivation so much easier in the spring. And there's another benefit too. If it thaws slowly, then that moisture trickles down and really fills the subsoil with moisture I suppose helps to fill those aquifers too. Much better than heavy rain, which too often will just uh, run off. But if you could just check things, because if uh, the temperature does drop to minus six or minus eight, then things like dahlias and potatoes and begonias in sheds and garages, so they can get frozen. Uh, and of course, we need to make sure that the outside taps are nicely lagged and just melting a bit of water in ponds, a little bit of hot water just to melt the ice, get some air in if there's fish beneath, uh, and be sure you don't have any pumps in the water that could get frozen. Well, the weeks are flying by, and uh, the Chelsea Flower Show gets ever closer, and it takes more and more of our time. We can have some really exciting novelties, and I was speaking to Adam Dunnett in the last day or two. He's got a new formium called Blondie. It looks just like a spider plant, you know, the chlorophytum, except, of course, this formium is quite hardy and I think will be a very useful, compact plant for gardens. Adam introduced another really attractive formium called Chocker Mint. It has rich green and dark bronze striped leaves, and it's looking pretty good now, which uh, I suppose in the depth of winter is quite useful to have that rich green colour. On my to-do list, there are several things you need to watch out for. 
Whilst the cold weather will hold the blossom of peach and nectarines and apricots back, they are really more advanced than I would like to see. And it's worth having a few tubes of fine mesh handy because you can slip those over the branches, almost like putting on a stocking, I suppose, do that late evening and then take them off again in the daytime to give several degrees of frost. We do need to remember to take them off because you need some pollinating insects to go over the flowers once they open. Another job too that uh, I've been getting on with is to clean the glass and polythene on cold frames and greenhouses. At this time of year, we want every bit of light we can get. Otherwise, plants get very drawn and floppy. Uh, not only that, if you get a good lot of sunlight passing through the glass or the polythene, it warms the soil that much better. And if we can get the soil really warm in the daytime, then obviously the protection just holds that bit of heat and gives you several degrees of resistant to frost. I'm very pleased to introduce my guest today, Rod Richards. I think I can best describe Rod as a, a modern-day plant hunter, really travelling the world just uh, looking for new plants and then having the commercial experience to market them pretty well around the world. Must be a pretty wonderful job. But Rod, before we go down that avenue, how did you get into it? Well, I started, I suppose, 45, 46 years ago, Actually, even before then, my grandfather was a very keen gardener and he loved his roses. He basically, I suppose, introduced me to gardening. He had such a way of encouraging you and showing you how things grew and whether it be uh, sowing carrots or uh, pruning a rose and seeing that uh, flower bud which he cut and put in his top pocket when he went shopping. Quite an old-fashioned tradition. And, and I think today, you know, um, a lot of young people need that encouragement, that introduction to replace that generation of gardeners. So anyway, he really, I suppose, fired off the spark um, into this fascination of growing plants and seeing the results of them. I thought I wanted to teach horticulture, uh, but I then soon found out that you needed the practical experience. There was no good going from school to school to college. So uh, I wanted to go to Cannington College in Somerset, all excited about that. But then they said, no, you can't come here. You've got to have at least a year's practical experience. That meant I went into the industry, uh, went to an old-fashioned nursery. But when I look back, that was simply marvellous. We grew glasshouse crops of freesias and various pot plants, including geraniums and gloxinias and all those old-fashioned things, tomatoes, cucumbers, lettuce, chrysanthemums, even forcing bulbs, hyacinths and tulips. So it was a very good all-round background, and I, and I did my City of Guilds of Horticulture, and that was actually a two-year course. It meant that I worked in this nursery for two years and uh, certainly learnt how to water 
uh, that's one skill <laughs> I picked up was being able to water. And and that not that the, the major skill? I remember being at a flower show for the first time and my old boss told me, if somebody comes up and asks you a question and you don't know the answer, you just ask them, did they water it? Don't be put off. Did they water it? If absolutely. They, if they did, it and was too much. And if they didn't, it wasn't enough. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we used to mix our own sort of John in his compost as it was in those days. And one of the sort of uh, summer crops was growing pelargoniums and geraniums. We always had a few weeds that would pop up here and there. And uh, I remember this man, Mr. Mr. Priddle, he always made us leave the odd weed at the end of a bench. And he said to me, he said, son, when that weed wilts, that's the time to water geraniums. <laughs> what, what a brilliant uh, bit of advice. Yeah. So if the weed wilts, and if you think about it, it takes a lot for a, a weed to wilt. Yeah, but geraniums, of course, don't want to be overwatered, do no, they? No, but that's how I learned. Yeah. Watering yeah. is a skill. It is, it is a skill. You know, it takes you by surprise, and it's all about experience. And that's really what this journey took me on working in various nurseries i remember going once to another nursery in essex down towards south end and i can't remember it was an alpine nursery and uh, i saw this crop of rhoda hypoxis i've forgotten the man's name now but he was flooding these literally flooding them with a hose pipe and i just thought well this is a bulb this is you know this is this is crazy but years later, I was determined because I had a big collection of rhodohypoxis. I went to the Drakenbergs Mountains and saw them for myself. And you know what? A lot of them were actually underwater and it came back and, uh, you know, it registered with me that time when I saw this man watering these rhodohypoxis. So there you've got two extremes and it is all about getting that experience under your belt. Yeah, and and really, if if you're seeking out new plants or better novelties you need that fundamental experience don't you absolutely so i don't regret doing that seven years training in order to get the master of horticulture which is administered by the royal horticulture society and you had to do the intermediate exam after three or four years and they would count one or two years at college so from cannington i then went to pershaw and that was a great thing and that fired up my enthusiasm for alpines uh, there was a lecturer there that showed me these dwarf and really unusual shrubs which i never knew existed salix boidii and betulinana and sorbus reducta these little miniature things of the bigger trees and shrubs that we grow again another person that was dedicated to horticulture just inspired and gave you that enthusiasm and you know to push you on and inquire further so then i went off on Various plant trips each year with Ingwerson, um, looking at alpines in the various mountain ranges. We used to go off every year. I think it was about 11 or 12 of us in a van and a trailer and a tent. And we'd go off for two weeks going to the Julian Alps or the Dolomites or the Pyrenees. And looking at these plants in the wild, I then did an expedition to Nepal for six weeks. And that was a dream that came true, you know, just I felt I could have walked up the side of the Empire State Building when I came back, but <laughs> um, it was just—it's just a—it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful life, a wonderful thing to uh, keep learning about plants, where they grow in their habitat, and and how we can use them in our gardens, and and then also how we get them into the commercial world. Well, now, can you just bring us a bit up to date then? 
Rod, I mean, you know, I said that you travel the world looking for things, but you're not out in the wild. You're a modern-day plant hunter, aren't you? You're into nurseries and gardens and things. Yes, that's right. You know, we're in this business where we've got such a passion and a desire, particularly in the UK. It's a wonderful uh, gardening market where so many people are enthusiastic about new varieties of plants and we, we you know we always collect them we've established partners in the nursery industry and with breeders in different parts of the world in uh, mid-november i took a month out and i went to the states and then from the states i went to new zealand and then to australia and then to south africa i'm obviously looking at what the competition is doing but I'm meeting with partners, nurseries that are interested in growing our varieties in, that, in those countries and uh, bringing them up to date with new things that we've got. As a result of that trip, I will then be shipping out plants to them later this year, all being well. At the same time, um, I'm meeting those nurseries and what have they got that's new that might be useful to have back into the UK and into Europe and uh, also private individuals and uh, other nurseries where you can suddenly come across something and think wow I haven't seen that before. You've got two new fuchsias that have come from that source haven't you? Yes not from, uh, from not from overseas but that's from 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 the UK um, and uh, this is from an amateur breeder. You know, we work with anybody that really is keen and has discovered a genuine new variety that is useful to introduce. And this whole business, this whole market is about trust. And unfortunately, a lot of amateur people have, um, gardeners have got good plants, have been stitched up in effect. You know, the people have not done them any favors or they've not paid them royalties. And so we try to be really honest. So we had a fuchsia, for example, called Chili Red, and uh, that had been uh, discovered by uh, a lady in the north of England, and uh, they'd given it to a nursery, and uh, unfortunately they hadn't done much with it, and uh, she got very disappointed, heard about us, and she said, Rod, can you give it a go? And I said, well, let me have the plant, let me have a look at it and grow it. That's what we did, and then we showed it to some of our commercial nurseries that we work with in the UK and they got behind it and uh, now it's an established plant and it's a wonderful thing we benefit the the trade benefits and uh, also the breeder benefits. What other of your introductions should our listeners be looking out for? Well one of the ones and it has appeared a few times on television uh, in some of the gardening programs was uh, Salvia Amistad, Um, lovely Salvia with those uh, mauve purple flowers and black calyx. Um, it's, it's a really great plant. It dies down, but then it will come up again. And uh, it's, it's been a huge success. I think um, around the world we've sold almost 2 million plants. And Where, where, uh, did, where did that come from then? That came from a salvia breeder in uh, Argentina. We pay this uh, guy royalties for every plant that we sell that's changed his life i went over to argentina and i saw him last may he's a very poor guy and he works really hard he's very very clever and very smart but lives a very humble life and uh, it's really great to see that uh, the benefits uh, from the royalties of salvia amistad has has changed his life and uh, i brought back some new hybrids that we're currently evaluating and we're about to launch 
the first ever red salvia granitica. We're going to call that a mante. And so is that the same sort of size and habit? It's the same habit, same size, but it's red and it's a genetic breakthrough. So at the moment, we're running various tests to check it for viruses and all that kind of thing. And then we're about to uh, ship mother material. So that will become elite because it would have been cleaned of any known viruses that affect salvias. We will then ship that to our partners in Israel, who will produce the mother plants. And they will then ship the unrooted cuttings back into the UK or in other places in America and Europe. Uh, for commercial growers to then root, produce the young plants, and then eventually take it to market. So the world's a very small place now, hey? Goodness. It is. But then, Rob, what about the cost? You talk about sending out mother stock, which is tested for pests and diseases. That must all cost money. It does. It's it's a very expensive business. Um, You know, we've been growing this new salvia amante in the laboratory now for probably the best part of six, seven months, uh, taking a tiny little meristem so that we've hopefully eliminated all the viruses, but it takes this sort of a length of time in order to get enough material to be able to test it in a specialist laboratory. And then every one of those tests for virus costs money. Then you've got to maintain it from year to year because we always send out fresh elite mother stock to these big propagation stations. Uh, and then you've got the shipping costs, the inspections from uh, the DEFRA and uh, the plant health inspectorate. Each of the countries have their own specific permits and conditions that they know that they want to make sure has been certified and cleared. So it all has to be done properly, and all of that takes a lot of time and a lot of cost. We can now understand that it's not just holiday with you cruising around the world looking for new plants. There's a a great deal of hard work behind it. I can't wait myself to see uh, your new salvia, Amante, and look forward to having a chat again in the near future. Yes, no, that's great. Well, thank you, Peter. And, you know, if any of your listeners um, think they've got a plant that uh, would have a commercial interest, then, you know, please get in touch. Well, Rod, where would they find you? Well, they'd find us at New World Plants. They can go on to uh, the website and uh, there's a telephone number and also an email address and a contact form. So, you know, if anybody that does have a new plant then uh, and they think, well, what can I do with it? How do I get this marketed? Then uh, that would be a way of getting us, you know, involved. And we would be very honest. Uh, it's good. And, uh, you know, we want to have these nice stories and uh, influence other people's lives. It's not just about us about the plant in many cases and the stories behind them. Well, what's on in the coming few days? There's still time to see snowdrops. At Burton Agnes Gardens, Driffield, North Humberside, there's a pretty good show. Now, you know, as we uh, sign off, we look for a bit of a gardening gag and uh, We authors, you know, get a real lift if we see somebody buy one of our books or even better, see them on the train perhaps sitting reading it. So I thought this was a bit of a laugh. Dear sir, I thought you might like to know that I bought your book for my husband as a birthday present and that I heard him telling his friend it was the kind of book that once you'd put it down, it was very difficult to pick up again. (laughs) Well, I hope my books are picked up and not put down permanently. 
My thanks to our sponsor this week, Sutton Seeds of Torquay. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. And remember, we don't just talk and write about gardening. There are short how-to videos showing just exactly how we do it on sungardening.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.